0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, it's a real privilege to come into your lives right now with the Word of God. Psalm 133 is our psalm for today, and I invite you to turn to that three-verse psalm. Listen carefully, this is God's word. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there... The Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Lord Jesus, we ask now that you would speak to us from your word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to the glory of our Heavenly Father. Amen. Uh, For most of us, this has been the most unusual Lent that we have ever experienced, We are speaking of self-isolating, of social distancing, and quarantines. I learned this week that the term quarantine comes from the Venetian word for Lent, quarantina, meaning 40 days. In the 15th century, if a ship arrived from a country that was suffering the Black Plague, the Venetians made the ship stay offshore for 40 days. The ship was quarantined. As I say, this has been the most unusual Lent. The morning after the shelter-at-home order was given in San Diego, my five-year-old grandson, Micah, woke up the next day and announced to the family that they had two important meetings, one at lunch and one at dinner, and that everybody had to dress up for those meetings he then picked out his favorite shirt and pants for those meetings we are sheltering at home because of an invisible enemy uh, Bill Whitaker of CBS's 60 Minutes went coast to coast interviewing scientists working 24-7 to find a vaccine for COVID and I was impressed by a comment of a president of a biotech company in Boston, Stephen Hogue. He said, we don't get to choose when an epidemic is going to happen. We get to decide how we're going to respond. He went on to say there's a lot of fear out there right now. And there is a competition, he said. But it's not a competition between the companies that are searching for a vaccine. It's a competition between our search for a vaccine and the virus. It's not against them, it's against it. It's not us versus them, it's us versus it. And the only way we're going to beat the coronavirus, he said, is if we all work together. No one group, no company can possibly expect to do it alone. Well, this microbial enemy, that we are facing is really part of a larger struggle and that's what Lent and Easter remind us of. We are up against an it even greater than the virus for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against rulers, against authorities in this dark world. And that's why, during Lent, we remind ourselves of the great meaning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will have an Easter this year without the visual processional and the trumpet fanfare. The nave at the Advent will be empty. But these physical and social limitations I hope will only serve to deepen and enlarge the invisible realities of the good news of Jesus Christ. This Easter may actually be more like the first Easter than any Easter you and I have ever experienced. When the early church celebrated the first Easter, I think there was a great deal of uncertainty and doubt. And yet, the realization that indeed Jesus had come back from the dead The reason I've chosen Psalm 133 is because it is a psalm of community. It's a psalm of the covenant people of God. It's an encouraging psalm. It reminds us of the great invisible truths that keep us, that save us, that comfort us. The psalmist paints two powerful images distinct in meaning and comprehensive in scope. The first represents God's redemptive provision the moment at which Aaron was consecrated by Moses. It's described for us in Exodus 29. The second image signifies God's sovereign plan and purpose, the dew of Hermon falling on Mount Zion. So first in the psalm, the blessing of community, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. This psalm captured the imagination of Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his little book, Life Together. He wrote it as a guide for 25 students, seminary students, in their understanding of what Christian community was all about. The year was 1938, and the place was this clandestine, illegal seminary in Finkenwald, Germany. At a time of great uncertainty and danger, Bonhoeffer meditated on the privilege of Christians living together in unity. He wrote, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Christian community, he stressed, is a divine reality. It's not a human ideal. It's based on, and I think this is so important, the clear, manifest word of God in Jesus Christ, rather than human urges and human desires. And he reflected on the meaning of this unity, this good and pleasantness that he characterizes the coming together of the covenant people of God. It's good... In the sense of the goodness of creation, God saw what he made, and it was good. It's that sort of fundamental, basic understanding of what's involved with being human as an image bearer of God, accepted and received by him. It's good and pleasant when the people of God live together in unity. It changes what we think about It taps into, in my mind, to what Paul said, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's worthy, think about such things. The blessing, not only in community, but the blessing that flows down. You notice that the repetition of, the fourfold repetition of flowing down, coming down, The psalmist says, it's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling, coming down on Mount Zion. That singular picture that the psalmist creates of Moses taking oil and pouring it on Aaron's head, consecrating the great high priest and then the whole priestly tribe consecrating them unto God's purpose they will offer the sacrifices the sacrifices that are based on the repentance of God's people for the sins that they have committed as a sign pointing forward to that sacrifice of Jesus Christ this was a psalm of ascent The pilgrims moving all throughout Israel would move to Jerusalem several times a year, Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles, and especially at Passover, we see the consecration of Aaron and the sacrificial system as a pointer to Jesus Christ, and that whole sacrificial system has been fulfilled in Christ. It's an object lesson pointing to the reality of the sacrifice that God in Christ made for us. As the author of Hebrews says, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So Aaron foreshadows the fact of the truth that will be fulfilled that we become a kingdom of priests because of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Peter will say we are a royal priesthood. The followers of Christ are holy, they're set apart for priestly service, and there is no higher calling than this. The book of Hebrews roots our priesthood in the priestly sacrifice of Jesus Christ who was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin, who learned obedience by the things that he suffered. And instead of the blood of sacrificial animals, he offered himself once and for all as a perfect sacrifice. His blood cleanses our consciences from our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Christ is the mediator of this new covenant that creates this new community that we, because of what Jesus Christ did, can enter into the most holy place by his blood. The blessing comes down. It comes down from God. It is an act of grace and mercy. We cannot come up to God. It is God who has come down to us. Bonhoeffer wrote, Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. The Christian no longer lives of himself or herself by his own claims and his own justification, but by God's claims and God's justification. So we identify with Aaron's consecration. We can picture ourselves in this, being anointed by the oil of God's grace. We are the holy possession of God in Christ. We are personally chosen by God, predestined for communion with God, adopted into the community of God's people, recipients of God's grace redeemed by his personal sacrifice on our behalf, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. But there's a second image that the psalmist paints, and this one of the dew of Hermon. The Mount Hermon is about 100 miles from Zion, with a completely different climate, Uh, arid, cool, and moist, and Mount Zion being dry and arid. And it would be utterly impossible for the dew of Hermon to fall on Mount Zion. And it's actually that impossibility that the psalmist points to. That the blessing of God envisioned for the totality of Israel in the providence of God does the impossible. It does what we cannot do. And that we could reflect on that to a great degree, I mean, it just brings us who would not be together as one united in Christ. The blessing of God coming down reaches its climax in the descent of the Son of Man. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Jesus is that exclusive personal bridge between heaven and earth, between God and humanity. Jesus is the bread of God that comes down out of heaven to give life. Jesus gives the Spirit who comes down to lead us upward through Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. There's four things that I just want to interject here because next week our mind turns to Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and to Easter Sunday. My mind always turns to the upper room discourse from John 13 through 17, and where Jesus gives these last words to his disciples before the cross. And he lays out four fundamental themes of his coming down, gives to us, and to me these are the basis for the comfort that Christians have. The first he describes in John 14, when Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many places, and if I go, I will come, I'll return again, so that you are with me where I am. That's the he begins with that ultimate coming of him. The parousia, we call it in Greek. He began with that ultimate coming. I will come again and take you to be with me that you may be also where I am. I think that is an ultimate comfort that Christians have. The world does not share that. Uh, that seems like a pie in sky utopian, mythological thought. But Christians affirm that that Jesus indeed is coming again. And along with that truth is the passion. Jesus in that upper room discourse says that preceding this, that final coming was the promise of his resurrection. I will not leave you as orphans, he says to the disciples. I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. The third Fundamental comfort that we have that Jesus underscores is the giving of the Holy Spirit. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Again, in the Greek, it's percolite. So you have the the parousia, the second coming. You have the passion of Christ's cross and resurrection. You have the percolite, the giving of the Holy Spirit, the comforter who is an advocate. And then finally, the presence. Embedded in all of these comings is the immediacy of God's continuous homecoming. Remain in me as also I remain in you. These four comings and goings of Jesus, the parousia, the passion, the paraclete, and his presence, all give us the sense of what keeps us, saves us, and comforts us. This final thought on Psalm 133, the last line, for there, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. For there. And that there applies to the consecration of Aaron, that image. It also for there applies to the dew of Herman falling on Mount Zion. The thereness rooted in history, in time, in place. God sending his son to redeem us, to save us from an it greater even than the virus. And what empowers also should empower us to fight that microbial, invisible enemy. The image of running down is echoed by the Apostle John As well, when he writes in the book of Revelation, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Brothers and sisters in Christ, how wonderful, how beautiful. When brothers and sisters get along, It's like costly anointing oil flowing down head and beard, flowing down Aaron's beard, flowing down the collar of his priestly robes. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon flowing down the slopes of Zion. Yes, that's where God commands the blessing, ordains eternal life. Now may the God of peace